0: Kevo will. he's been with us for nine, for nine years, and they've been nine glorious years um, with all kinds of meaning, which we're going to talk a bit about this morning, but um, Kevo is going to share a little bit before I give my message about what those nine years has meant to him.
1: I'll start by echoing Happy Pride, and Happy Juneteenth, and Happy Father's Day to all the dads who are here and to all the dads we remember today. Um, In August 2014, I drove a cute little Nissan Cube, two-wheel drive, (laughs) from Los Angeles to Iowa City to move here to start medical school. And um, for the first few days of being an Iowa Cityan, I really only had one thought that was going through my mind, which was, oh God, what have I done? (laughs) See, before moving here, I only had two prior experiences in Iowa. Summer 2009, I was in the passenger seat of my sister's car as we were doing a cross-country road trip along I-80, and all I remember of Iowa was that every time I looked up from my Nintendo DS, I saw cornfields and... Really, it was just cornfields? Um, and the second time I was here for, was for my med school interview. Um, and I was staying with a friend's friend who asked me, what do you wanna do or see while you're here? And I was like, can you show me what kind of food Iowa has to offer? You know, really excited to get a literal taste of this place. Um, He took me to Culver's. (laughs) So I already had an impression of Iowa coming here. Um, And based on that impression, I I had prefabricated a narrative for myself which was that during the four years I was going to be in Iowa, LOL. Um, I would just focus on my studies and not really interact with or invest myself into the community here, LOL. (laughs) But that narrative, that story that I told myself, had a lot of influence over me, and it really shaped my experience during those first few years. I wasn't here to have a good time, I said to myself, and, and so I didn't. But then when I realized I was going to be here for a bit longer than I had first expected, I came to a realization that something needed to change about my attitude and the way I understood this season of my life. And so I changed how I described Iowa and its people and the things it has to offer. And I changed how I described my experience of all of those things around me. And life became so much better and I felt so much freer to enjoy and love my time here. In some of my work as a psychiatrist, um, I emphasize with my patients this idea that when we limit ourselves to a single story, the story can become a trap. This is related to other phenomena we hear about, like the self-fulfilling prophecy or the Pygmalion effect. Even the highly millennial concept of hashtag manifesting has its overlap, right? In a psychotherapy model called narrative therapy, one objective is for us to learn to rewrite the scripts that we use to understand ourselves in the lives we lead. All with a hope that we find another version of our story that is just, that is just as true as the last one, but a new story that's just more helpful. It's better to us, and it's better for us. Another form of therapy I practice is called dialectical behavioral therapy, which emphasizes this idea that two seemingly contradictory ideas can both be true at the same time, right? So for example, Kevo is not built to live in Iowa can be just as true as Iowa built Kevo into the most amazing version of themselves. I am moving away in a little over a week, and I've been really relishing in that latter truth. When I look back on these nine years, one of the most obvious things that sticks out to me is that sanctuary has been one of the most important drivers that helped me reauthor my Iowa story into one characterized primarily by belonging, joy, support, growth, and home. And it's not even just that. Sanctuary gave me the freedom to rewrite the narratives I have about faith. Together, right, we've had opportunities to understand God in a new way. God the Father, sure, and, got our mother, got our queen. When I say the word church now, it feels different in my mouth and in my chest compared to before. It's not as heavy, it feels less guilt ridden. The script I have about church and its relationship with women, social justice, other faiths, pride parades, it's just so much better than the old script. I'm not the same person that I was in 2014, or I don't know, maybe I am, but. (laughs) the, the, The narrative I have for myself is vastly different. Back then, I viewed myself as somewhat of an outcast, I thought I was unoriginal. I felt like an imposter in medicine. I thought of myself as a man, but one who couldn't just do masculinity right. I identified back then as gay, but not really as a member of the queer community. And then things changed. I thought, what if I challenged these rigid, fixed, singular thoughts I have about myself? What if I started claiming rather than doubting my belonging in Iowa, in medicine, in church? What if I started believing that I had a perspective to bring to the table, a voice to lead? What if I freed myself from this box of gender and sexuality that I was trying so hard to fit into? And what if I opened myself up to more possibility, to being multifaceted, to fluidity? What happens then? What happens, I learned, is that we get a taste of freedom, a liberation and identity that I think God wants for us. Throughout scripture, we see God's invitation for people to take up a new story for themselves all the time. Sarai, who doubted her ability to bear children, became Sarah, mother of nations. Simon, after becoming known by Jesus, becomes Peter, the rock. Doubters become doers, the meek become inheritors of the earth. These aren't transformations. These are affirmations of truth that we're just waiting to be recognized. Over the last few years, as I've grown and discovered new truths about myself, I've been really fortunate to have had people, friends, colleagues, strangers, earnestly thank me for being me and for doing what I do in this community. Um, which was always so nice to hear, um, but honestly still kind of astonishes me because as I reflect on my time, I see myself less as an agent of change and more as evidence of it. If anything, I hope that any imprint that I leave here serves as a reminder, as an invitation, a call for folks who feel stuck or restricted in whatever story they've adhered themselves to that there is opportunity to outgrow that story and to find one that serves them better. And if anyone is looking for a safe place to experiment or to explore truths, there's no better place than here at Sanctuary in this community. Thank you so much for letting me worship with you. You have changed my life and I'm forever grateful.
0: All right, this morning, is going to be shorter, a little bit more of a meditation. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> um, but we're going to read one thirty-nine, Psalm 139 together. Um, I took some liberty um, at the end, stating what is said a little bit more negatively, a little bit more positively. So rather than hating those who hate the Lord, I put in loving those who run after God who run after love, who run after truth. I think that there are ways of understanding the psalm exactly as it's written, and we would get to the same place ultimately, but for time's sake. So the psalm will be projected, and uh, we're going to divide it into sections. This section is going to read the first portion, second portion, third portion, and then we will all read the final portion together, and uh, I think there is a blank slide, is that right, Meg? Is that how people know to switch sections? If you mess up and read the wrong section, nobody cares. (laughs) All right, so, are we ready? You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there for darkness is as light to you. The Psalm begins, you've searched me, you know me, you love me, there is nowhere I can go to escape from your love. The Psalmist says, you have seen all that is me, everything, you've seen my regrettable moments with my kids, You've seen my struggles with addictions and difficulty forming new habits. You've seen the harm I bring others and myself, and still and yet and in spite of and because you can't not love me. And then we get to line 13, And I picture a dramatic pause and then maybe a drum roll, and then we get it for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully made, and fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And I can picture the psalmist in this rapturous moment as saying, oh my God, this miracle that is me, you made me. You, oh God, were part of the development of every cell and every gene. You made me and I am different than This is not, and God created the heavens, and God created humankind. This is God. You made me Kevo, physician, activist, friend. This is, you made me James, musician, philosopher, dad. This is, you made me 80. You made me sensitive, caring, curious. You, oh God, knit me together in my mother's womb. Just before we left the movement we had been a part of, probably in 2013, we attended a national conference and the title was Spirit for Everyone. We were already struggling with our lack of inclusion. Kevo and a small handful of other LG. B T Q plus friends were already attending our church. Tom and David were already fully theologically convinced that God was inclusive, fully inclusive. And I was emotionally there filled with all kinds of fears, mostly having to do with telling our church that we were going to make this transition and knowing that there would be fallout. Well, here we were in this liminal space, and we were attending this conference that was called Spirit for All, and all we could think was, no, it's not spirit for all. It's spirit for all, Asterisks, Spirit for all except those for whom it's not for. Growing up post-Holocaust, Jewish with anti-Semitism, Rampant in the sanctuary city that I grew up in, I have a visceral reaction to not being part of all. For years in the movement that we came from, all pastors come forward for prayer meant all male pastors. The psalmist is emphatic. In my mind, they're saying no matter what you think about you, no matter what your parents tell you about you, no matter what society tells you about you, God says I knit you together in your mother's womb. I used to knit. I was never very good. (laughs) My daughter-in-law knits, and uh, she's great. But in order for knitting to work, the knitter has to be involved in every single stitch. I understand that this is a metaphor in the psalm, but in every way the psalmist can. The psalmist is saying, I am not only made in your image, oh God, but you are intimately involved in my becoming me. If you are an artist, oh God, then I am the masterpiece. Dr. Katie Mboric, who of course is a beloved sanctuary member put it this way in an amazing sermon that katie preached to us shortly after our transition to full inclusion this is a quote from katie she was referring to the same psalm she said i resonate when the psalmist with the psalmist as i realize that god already knows my thoughts my identity and my proclivities God created the core of my being, and it's wonderfully made. It's like I work up the nerve to come out to God. God, you might want to sit down because I have something important to tell you. It's good, and I'm so happy, but I am worried that you might be upset. I'm still the same person that I've always been, God, and I want you to remember that, but, deep breath, God, I'm gay. And God answers Katie back saying, I'm sorry it took so long for you to be able to tell me that, but I've known it since forever, and I have always loved everything about you. This morning we celebrate Juneteenth, and we will party, and we will say yes to liberation with as much gusto as we can muster, and we are celebrating the gift that is Kevo, that Kevo never intended to give to us. It is just that as Kevo evolved, we evolved. As Kevil became more of who Kevo is, Sanctuary became more of who we are. When we first became inclusive in 2016, we imagined we'd become something like Vineyard 201. We weren't changing everything, we were merely becoming inclusive. As it turns out, there is not a merely people would talk about queerness as a gift, and I wasn't exactly sure what they meant. Like, do you mean queer people are a gift? I understand that. I understood, uh, but over time, we understood our transition into full inclusion as impacting every arena of how we do faith and life. It is embedded in the who we are as a church, the why we do church, the what our mission is. We cannot be inclusive without taking a deep dive into power and privilege. We can't be inclusive and tolerate patriarchy. We can't be inclusive without becoming increasingly anti-racist. True inclusion demands equity. So this is a picture of Kevo from yesterday's Pride Parade. It was glorious. And this is a picture of Kevo from 2019, our Easter service. So there is coming out as a sermon, like the one I did in 2016, And then there is coming out as a statement. Seeing Kevo that Easter was not just a celebration of Kevo being Kevo, but there was deep resonance who Kevo is, that is who we are, that is who we are becoming in many ways. Kevo and many others over the years have offered us a new lens with which to do church and theology. And not just one lens, they have helped us to challenge the heteronormative. What is heteronormative? They have helped us to ask about any particular text, who gets to decide the translation. They have helped us to ask, why must we keep referring to this Trinitarian God as he? They helped us to individually ask, who am I? Who gets to decide who I am and how I best express myself? As the psalm ends, the psalmist pleads with God to stay the hand of the wicked, to which we say, yes and amen, stay the hand of the wicked, O God, and stay that which is wicked within us. And then if there's an invitation for anything this morning, it's the next line. I set my heart with those who run after God. They are my North Star. I have a female friend who describes the challenges of having her personality. She's smart. She's opinionated. She's angered by injustice. And as such, she's an amazing activist. And I am super inspired by all she does. But she tells me that all her life she has worked to clamp down what it means to be her. She learned early on that as a woman she was too loud, too angry, had too many opinions. So she learned to control her voice. But in doing so, she lost what it meant to be her. And this is a quote from my friend. It took me decades to say that no one has the right to tell me who I am or who I can ever, who I can be. No one has the right to control my voice. She said, being part of this community and the nonprofit world that I live in, I've learned I don't have to censor my thoughts or what I believe or what comes out of my mouth. I see other people happily being them, all of them. And I witness our community holding space and having empathy for all kinds of difference. In other words, she set her heart with those who run after God. We are all invited to find those spaces and those communities that support us and to live from those places. And you, dear sanctuary family, are that for me. You are my North Star. You run after God, you run after love, you run after truth, you make space for Kevo to be Kevo, for me to be me, for my friend to be her. And that is a glorious thing. Amen.